common denominator in every corporation is people. Mm. People are there. And whether they're going, having a wonderful day or a great week or an awful week, they need support. And the foundation of that support is empathy. It's just about taking a breath and approaching every conversation, every meeting invite, every email with just consideration for who you're sending the invite or the meeting to. Hi, my name is Anita Novak, and I'm the author of this book. Welcome to season 12 of Purposeful Empathy, a show that is dedicated to amplifying the voices of people from across the globe who understand that the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today, I am joined by Maxine Baudou. With over 20 years of corporate professional experience in internal audit, risk management, and compliance, Maxine has built teams and led individuals to achieve great success by inspiring them to lead with empathy and transforming their approach to leading themselves. Today, through her organization, Exceptional Leader, Maxine focuses on coaching others. Using the concept of empathy, Maxine teaches her clients and students how to develop three capacities to elevate their leadership. The first being self-awareness, second, how to identify their blind spots, and three, how to overcome their triggers. And we're going to dig into all of that. Welcome to the show, Maxine. Thank you, Anita. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Same, same. And I know you're in Toronto, so we're kindred spirits, not too far yeah. apart. Um, I am always fascinated to learn the entry point for people into sort of the empathy space, the empathy work. And it's very rare to meet somebody who comes from risk management and audit <laughs> that transfers into empathy. So do you, is there a backstory that might explain why you're in this space now? Absolutely. Well, Yes. So when I graduated from university, I was 21 years old, very brand new to corporate America. But my first work, my first job was internal auditing. And that actually became a career for me. And in the profession of internal audit, whether you like it or not, you have to become a servant leader because it's all about spending time with people to get information from them that they really don't want to give you because they know you're in their space to find things that are not right with their process or with their how they're um, carrying out their business objectives or what have you. And you're gonna find things. And so you're there asking questions to find things and they're not really open. But to get them open is to be empathetic. Honestly, I didn't even know what the word was until maybe three or four years into being an internal auditor. I knew what it was about okay, this is something I have to think about before I go into a meeting with these people. Sometimes I had colleagues of mine as well as myself in the beginning, they wouldn't even give us information. They wouldn't answer the phone. They wouldn't respond to emails. And the deadline for the audit is approaching and you're looking like an ineffective professional and ineffective auditor. So it was through trial and error that I realized that empathy is at the crux of all of this. And that is how I stood out in my audit team. I, I stood out in a massive way by approaching every audit with empathy. Mm. And your gorgeous smile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
beautiful smile. I was remarking on Maxine's oh, teeth earlier. <laughs> um, fantastic. And what it comes to mind when you're talking about that is that, I, you know, that still that applies for anybody in collections or customer care, anybody who has to sort of manage people who are stressed, people in healthcare, you know, even teachers. So, okay, yeah. let's talk about the need for empathy in the world. Why do you suppose empathy is needed uh, within the cor- corporate sector, in the workplace generally? Like why to you is it so important? I realize it's so important, Anita, because the most, the common denominator in every corporation is people. Mm. People are there. And whether they're going, having a wonderful day or a great week or an awful week, they need support. And the foundation of that support is empathy. It's just about taking a breath and approaching every conversation, every meeting invite, every email with just consideration for who you're sending the invite or the meeting to, Mm. or the email to, or just setting up the presentation for. It's all embedded in how we work. I mean, I've had my leaders tell me, consider your audience Mm -hmm. before you set out to develop this presentation. You know, consider who you're speaking to. They don't wanna hear all this detail. So it's, it's there and it's important because I've seen it both ways where it's not exercised to some, but exercised towards others because they show up with their issues in a different way in the workplace, right? So I think it's important because, short answer, the common denominator in all these corporations are people and people need that support. What's interesting is that I often get pushback um, when I talk about empathic leadership and empathic cultures is um, somebody will ask me in the Q&A uh, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. Mm-hmm. We're a high performance culture. So all this talk about empathy sounds great. And yeah, we it'd be wonderful to aspire to that, but it's going to slow us down. And sometimes we have to make decisions. Sometimes we have to be bold. Uh, what, do you th- what do you say to that? Yeah, I've heard, I've seen that before too. And what I say to that is that, A, you're probably already exercising empathy and you don't even know it. Uh-huh. And B, you will not be able to sustain being bold and efficient and forward moving if you're not empathetic because you're working with people, you're not working with robots. And eventually people cave and they say, okay, enough, I'm moving on. So to have sustainable leadership that enables teams to thrive, you have to approach everything you do with empathy. It has to be embedded in how you work. So that leads to the training, right? Because obviously we're born with a degree of and capacity to empathize, I guess, along a a bit of a bell curve, Um, but people can become more empathic. Leaders can become more empathic. At least I believe you share that belief with me. I would agree, yes. Right, especially for the training uh, space. So let's, let's, I would love to hear some of the work that you do related to these three capacities that you build up, right? Self-awareness. What does that mean? And how do you, how do you practice that identifying blind spots and why that's important and then overcoming triggers. Could you unpack those three sort of, uh, and share why those are so important to the work you do? Absolutely. Yeah. I appreciate the question too. So What I have found in my 20 years of experience and being a leader myself in the various organizations that I've worked with is that self-awareness is so crucial to even how you approach your day, how you communicate with your peers, as well as those above you and those quote unquote below you. So those who are not at at your level in terms of the organization structure. 
And so what I mean by self-awareness is just being aware of how you show up and take up space in an office or how you take up space in a meeting room. When do you decide to speak and when do you decide to be silent? What I have noticed and I was so flabbergasted by is when I joined the, work, the workforce, I was so surprised by people who were much older than I was at the time. Like I'm talking at least 20 years, let's say who did not know how to speak, take their turn to speak, who did not know how to show up in an office professionally and still be friendly with their colleagues. And, you know, would say the most, the craziest things in an office space to make people feel uncomfortable. Those things stand out, but not in a good way. It makes you infamous. And so I always wanted to be the one to be someone to like, to be there to coach someone else in building up their self-awareness in, in the office. Cause I kind of struggled with that in the beginning as well. And I always wanted like a mentor or a teacher who could, who I could bounce ideas off of and scenarios, things that happened in the office. And I didn't have anyone. And so when I built Exceptional Leader just a little under a year ago, um, I went, I, I approached it in that way, you know, being able to coach new professionals, mid-level professionals on how to take up space in the office and really elevate themselves where they stand out for good things and not bad things, not for talking, speaking out of turn or, or being a poor leader because they just forgot to be um, thoughtful about what they said in a meeting. So, so that's the, the self-awareness piece. So that the idea there is that there are some people who might speak in a way that um, is high energy where it could actually create friction among some people in a group or some people not speaking up when they should um, and also you know, withholding that dynamic. So it's both, mm -hmm. both sides of the equation, right? Right. And it's about being thoughtful enough to know what you're doing and to be able to identify and see how others are reacting to you. you that is so crucial to growth even. I mean, I, I'm guilty of making mistakes and things that I've said things that I've done in the office, but paying my ability to pay attention to see the reactions of those around me helped me to grow that alone. So how, how, at what point does the work that you do come up against the authenticity piece? Because I'm imagining that people who are just sort of like blurting out whatever they need to say, or mm -hmm. maybe deciding to sort of bite their tongue um, without being conscious that they're doing it. Like, you know, if you're engaging them on the, on the topic of self-awareness to actually imagine what's going on and be mindful of what's going on around them and uh, behave in ways that adds congruence to that. Um, how does that interfere with authenticity, just out of curiosity? Well, it, it doesn't, it does not, because you want to maintain your character, right? And, but at the same time you want to grow. So I, I support my clients and, you know, embracing who they are and showing up as their, as themselves and being true to their values and bringing their personality to the office space. But at the same time, being aware that there's a time and place for everything. I mean, these are very basic in words, but you'll be surprised mm. not to people get carried away in the workplace and they, they, they lose self-awareness, you know, and they, they lose the ability to be thoughtful about, how they're coming across. So it's not about um, neglecting yourself. It's just showing up as your authentic self in a professional space Beautiful. and, and leaving room to, for your bit of character here and there, people respect that. 
-hmm. as opposed to just going haywire and being disrespectful. Love it. Okay. How do you identify blind spots? (laughs) Yes. So I work with my clients. I, I listen to what they have to say. I listen to the types of scenarios that they find themselves in quite often. And then I challenge them to look at themselves and see what role are they playing in this recurring pattern. So for example, my blind spot was, I was, I'm too quiet in meetings. And just think I'm a senior auditor and I'm expected to speak up, especially if I'm leading a particular audit. But my peers who are staff on the audit are speaking up more than I am. And it wouldn't be, it would be probably maybe five or six years later that I, that I had a really strong leader who would pull me aside and say, Maxine, you need to speak up. We know that you tend to be quiet. I know, I noticed you don't like long meetings. <laughs> he called me out on that too. He's like, cause you get fidgety. That was another blind spot, but it's just, he called me out on my stuff. Right. And I was open to that critical feedback, but that was my blind spot. I tend to be quiet. Um, so I worked on that and and that moment in time where he pulled me aside, it felt bold enough to do so. He's a male, I'm a woman of color and he he still did that. He, he pulled me aside to do that. Um, that was big and valuable to me. So I was able to work on that blind spot and say, you know, it's okay to speak up, Maxine, you know, you got this and build confidence in that way. So it's just understanding what the patterns are. What do you tend to do? And what, what happens when you do those things? So you just mentioned something actually quite interesting. To, do you work with clients and leaders differently um, if it's a personality trait versus something that might be more identity oriented? You mentioned you're a woman of color. So there's the two intersectional aspects yeah. to that. So how does that play in? I tend to work with women, um, mostly women. It does not have to be women of color, it doesn't matter. But um, I, I tend to get feedback mostly from women. Some males, um, we interact on this topic, but I don't work with men largely. I'm open to it, but um, men are not as um, I haven't seen in my walk through this work. They're not as inclined to want to speak up about being empathetic in the workplace. I have two older brothers. Uh-huh. And when I tell them about my work, they get kind of silent. They're like, hmm, okay. You know, it's like, what does it matter type of <laughs> attitude, you know? <laughs> I, I can relate because my dad at one point, so I'm the first uh, generation college goer uh, in my oh, family. Okay. And uh, at one point when I was doing my PhD uh, on the topic of empathy, my dad's like, how are you going to get a job out in the world? And I remember calling him from New York City in a taxi on the way to a client where I was giving a talk. And I said, dad, look, I've got a job and it's about empathy. <laughs> Nice. Nice. Yeah. A bit dismissive, but that will change. That will change. And I think, yes, you're right. I think it is. Um, I, well, the tenor of, of conversation around empathy and empathic workplaces and empathic leadership, uh, over the last couple of years is definitely the appetite has gone, um, gone up. I, I also am starting to see, you know, the, the, what's being called, I think by Belinda Palmer, um, empathy washing, uh, so people are jumping on the empathy bandwagon, but it's not mm. really kind of integrated into the ethos and being practiced. Um, so it's, you know, it's easy to, to say right. empathic culture, but then to live up to it, it's different. 
Hey there, I don't mean to interrupt a fabulous conversation. I just want to draw your attention to the fact that there are so many other great conversations on my YouTube channel. Over 120 episodes with already 25,000 views, completely organic. Thanks to you, my listeners, viewers, watchers. Please subscribe. The world needs more empathy and you have a role to play. Your third, how to overcome triggers. That's, I think, a really, really interesting one. Mm -hmm. And that ties into the self-awareness piece. So when I first started, I was all over the place. I was just talking about, I was talking about teams and how to build teams and things like that. But I realized what I'm most passionate about is helping people to overcome themselves so that they can so that they can thrive, so that they can let go of whatever's getting in the way of their success and move forward. And that is, you know, triggers is part of that. Um, so those triggers that that pipe up in the office space can look like, you know, a manager pointing to you and tell you, telling you, can you come over here? I've had that happen to me. Um, or someone taking a different tone with you and saying, well, what if I, what happens if I don't get it done? Challenging you in that way. How are you responding to these things? It's very important. Or you not being, or you being looked over for a promotion. That could be triggering because maybe 10 years ago, you set out to do some work and you worked very hard and you were overlooked because someone else was liked or someone else was favored, not because of their skill set. And so you're, you're remembering that emotion and you're thinking, well, why is it happening again? And it could trigger some real serious anger and outbursts um, in the wrong place. So I help my clients expose those triggers and address them. That is, that is meaty work, as you've mentioned before, um, but it's important work, especially if you're supporting a client and wanting to thrive and move forward. They have to address those triggers. They have to first identify them, and that takes time. But it's through self-awareness and discussing blind spots we get there naturally. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, I'm I'm a believer that we're all sort of walking wounded. We all have... and burdens that we're carrying and there's intergenerational uh, burdens that different people experience. And so mm-hmm. when you mentioned that the common denominator in the workplace is people, I interviewed someone else um, in Ottawa uh, who ha- has a, a sentence where she says, I wanna bring the F word to work. And people often ask, is she talking about fun? <laughs> and and uh, she's like, no, I'm talking about feelings. And um, another guest that I had on was saying, you know, our, our brains, we think that we are rational decision makers, but our brains actually function first with feelings and emotions. So in the workplace, you've got all these different people with different lived experiences, different triggers, and we are joking. We're kidding ourselves to think that we don't have to get into the messiness of that, um, you know, and, and develop the skills that you're talking about, that you're working on with your coach as an individual, but for leaders to also appreciate that other people are in, on different uh, paths in the journey of all the work that you're describing and right. massage that, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And being, being able to like demonstrate to your workforce that it's okay to acknowledge that you're working through these things. I see you as a human being. It's so basic, but for some reason, it's like shunned upon or it is perceived to be shunned upon because there are some fantastic organizations that are doing it right. 
But in general, I feel like a lot of people are still going through it where they are not allowed to bring their feelings. I never felt like I was up until recently. Um, they're not allowed to bring their own, their authentic selves to the organization. And I don't know what gives us that impression. And it may not be the organization itself, or it could be the culture, but it's it just like this this generational thought of what corporate America from my perspective is. You know, it's like, you know, you get in there, you do your work, heads down, professional, you dress up and that's it and you go home. <laughs> but it's that's not sustainable, you know, that's especially not today, post pandemic. Totally. And I think um, one this memory is coming to me. It's, I've been teaching at McGill for, uh, I guess, about 12 or 13 years now. And just recently I've started this little, um, uh, it, I don't know what to call it, like a little what am I looking for? Um, not the word, it's not an experiment. Well, let me just explain. I'm in a classroom and there's two doors, right? And mm -hmm. I, in the first day of class, I welcome everyone. And I talk about how I hope that this class is an opportunity for us to take off our social masks and show up as learners. Because if we're so busy posturing and you know mm -hmm. trying to impress people and concerned about how others perceive us, we're not gonna be able to have the rich, robust conversations and learning. Like I want it to be a safe and brave space. So I actually literally walk out the classroom from one room and then I come in from the other door and I'm <laughs> holding the door open and I say, when you cross the threshold into this classroom, I want you to have the feeling like you're entering a place that is safe. And mm -hmm. I think the reason why I have started to do this little, whatever the word I'm looking for, maybe you can think of it, um, is that, uh, I, I say that before I see you guys as students, I see you guys as human beings. You're bringing all of the heap of complexity and colors that exist in your life into the classroom. So if something is on your mind burdening you that day, you're not going to be listening the same way, right? And the same thing in the workplace, right? If you've got a child at home sick or, you know, you're, you're, a, you're, what, what is it called? Like the sandwich generation where you're caring for children, but also oh, older okay. generation. Yes. Yes. Everything that's going on, the pandemic you just mentioned, yes. whatever's going on, we've, we, we are humans before we are employees. And there is something to be said about treating people as humans first that enables them to actually elevate their capacity as employees because they feel like they're being honored as humans first, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. They're supported in that. And that's embedded in the culture. Even if it's not in the corporate culture, it could be embedded in the culture of your team first as your leader of maybe five, six, up to 10 people, you can you can create that type of um, environment for your team members and say, hey, I'm, I'm okay, I'm open. And you share that you're open by saying, you know what, I'm not having a good day. Mm. I'm tripping up on my words because I was up late with my baby and he's sick and I'm worried. Um, and it's that simple, that's empathy in the workplace. And how much time did that take for you to be open and honest and authentic? It creates, like a domino effect throughout the team. And I've seen it firsthand where people respond, you know, they're taken aback first and then they're like, oh, well, I can share too, you know, if I'm going through something, it's that simple. And we all have feelings, like you mentioned, and we, we're all there to work, yes, but it's okay. It's, we're all wanting to be supported is what I'm getting at, you know? And even if they're not looking for you to hold their hands and be, to um what's that Air word fast. yeah yeah they're not looking for that just 
a little bit of sensitivity to the fact that I'm a human being just like you. Yeah. Um, you talk about feelings in the workplace. I, I, I want to, I want to insert a story here because I remember when I was a new mother and a new mom, uh, a new mom and a new wife, excuse me. Um, uh, and I struggled a lot being both of those things. It all happened very fast. And when I returned to work off of um, maternity leave, I returned early because I thought that, oh, I need to be able to maintain my job. It was too early because I was suffering from some serious postpartum depression. And um, I wasn't, I was not sure if I could come up and present my feelings, even to the people who are employed, the benefit department workers who are employed to support you in your benefit plan when you're on, when you're a mother, I was not even confident enough to bring my feelings to the workspace and tell them I need more time off more than the 12 weeks that I've been provided. Isn't that something that it's that it was that bad. I believe that because I'm living right now. I just came off of a book tour and am now admitting to myself that I might be uh, in a moment of burnout where I am not getting back to people by emails because I just can't will myself to my inbox because I'm just exhausted. Mm -hmm. And I feel guilty because the book tour is the culmination of many years of hard work and the vision of putting the book out there. So it's, it's very the feelings I have about myself are fraught with like guilt and shame. Mm -hmm. How, how, what's like, what's wrong with you? And all right. of that. aren't you thankful for this moment? This is what you've worked for. So what are you complaining now for? Right. And I even feel shame to reach out to people that I've collaborated with in different cities who are in the empathy space and say to them, like, I have a heaping dose of, Mia culpas, and I'm sorry that I have not responded, that I've not been blah, 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 and I haven't done it yet. So I really feel right. you in that yeah. circumstance where we're trying so hard to be professional. And, you know, at one point I had to make a decision about whether or not I was going to do all of the cities on the second leg of my tour. And I was like so afraid to go back on the road and 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 maybe screw up one of my talks because I was just so exhausted. But mm. part of me was like, well, I've made commitments and people have also made like, so right. I have to do this. And it was interesting. Um, I, I reached out to a mentor friend and I said, what should I do? And she's like, well, usually when you're having a hard time making a decision, it's because two of your values are intention. So what are the two values that are intention? And I said, well, one is that when I make a commitment, I keep it. And the other one attached to that is that I'm not afraid of hard work. So I should just hunker mm -hmm. down. But that's in competition with the need for self-care, like the real need for self-care. And I was thinking to myself, like, I've written an entire chapter about self-empathy and I'm not living it myself. How can I talk about self-empathy out in the world if I don't practice it? So it's a work in progress for me. Yeah, it's a true <laughs> confliction in, in your heart. Oh, my goodness. And I hope you make the right decision, which I think you know what the decision is. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> Thank you. Now, something that you wrote in an um, exchange we had that I want to reflect back. These are your words. Everyone shows up to work with baggage. Some show up apparently distressed, while others may show up as pleasantly happy or simply okay. It doesn't matter how they show up. Neither one deserves more empathy than the other. Could you talk more about that? 
Yeah, that one hits home for me. Um, what I'm trying to say and what I am saying through that writing is that if you approach your team where everyone is, you know, deserving of attention to their career, attention and support to the work that they're doing, um, and and that grace that you extend to the person who you know is going through something in their personal life. If everyone, if you approach it in a way where everyone's deserving of those things, then you're a fantastic leader. But I have seen in my, in my experience, I have seen um, people, you know, act a certain way towards me or towards a colleague of mine and it, with such disdain and disrespect. And when we raise it to our, our fearless leader at the time, they would say, oh, well, they're going through a divorce. So we gotta, you know, we gotta give him some grace or, oh, she's having a hard time with her parents at home. Her parents just moved into her house. And so we have to give her some grace. And I remember at one point feeling like I wanted to jump out of my skin because I was going through some serious um, family issues, some very things that challenged me. And you know, I, may, I may have mentioned that I, you know, becoming a mother and a wife was a huge thing that I welcomed at first, but I didn't realize all the work that came with that and, and, and the experience and the wisdom that was needed at that time. So that was very hard for me and, and my spouse at the time. Um, so, and I was going through postpartum depression and, and just hearing her say that made me feel like, oh, so am I not, <laughs> am, I, am I not worthy of that same grace? because I don't come in here and tout my personal life because I'm a very personal person. And I'm, Hey, have I mentioned I'm quiet, but you're, so I, I'm, I'm okay. Right. Because I don't share with you my, my intimate emotions. Yeah. And it's not, it's not right because a lot of people don't feel comfortable bringing that type of information and North should they, you know, I tell my clients, you don't have to air out anything. Um, that's your information because you know, you, you make yourself too vulnerable, that could work against you, on, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so that's what that writing piece was speaking to, like everyone's deserving. Everyone is worthy of that grace in the workplace. And I think that's the workplace, that's the classrooms, that's in the family with your children, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the wheel, the squeaky yeah. wheel. The gets the oil. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a really, that's a really interesting uh, nudge. Um, so I'm going to pay attention to that. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you. For that. That's really good. So Maxine, you, um, you work with leaders and you have a coaching process. I'd love to know if there's a specific kind of profile of client that you like to work with. We'll obviously have information in the show notes about how to get in touch with you, your website, LinkedIn, and all of that. But is there, mm -hmm. is there a process that you work with clients? Is there a particular kind of um, leader that you like to work with? Yes. Well, I, I really enjoy working with early to mid-level professionals, those who are just entering and really seeing that, okay, corporate America is for me. It's rewarding. It's rewarding. It's a great place to be. You just have to know how to conduct yourself and navigate. So I enjoy working with those who are new to corporate America or have been in corporate America for at least um, two years uh, and also who are looking to grow. Uh, so that's the profile. It's very, very basic, but uh, like I said, many women 
most of the time, many women, they approach me for coaching. I, I'm open to, you know, everyone coaching everyone because I want everyone to get this work and do the work to, to thrive in their respective careers. But that's, that's the profile. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Maxine, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, there's always a question that I love asking my guests um, as a final question, and I never know what kind of answer I'm going to get. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I will I will ask it of you. And that is, if you can think of a time in your life when you were on the receiving end of empathy and, and what that meant for you. Yeah, it was unexpected. So I, this is on the cusp of me coming back after my second child, uh, my second blessing, I like to call them, was born. Um, and I was still breastfeeding and lactating. And so I needed space to do that even in the office. And someone who was so unassuming, my manager at the time, he approached me and said, you know, I know you have to account for hours because as auditors, you have to account for every hour you're working on an audit. And if you have any auditors who are listening to this, I feel your pain. Um, so he said, don't worry about it. You know, you can allot as much time as you need to go do that for your child and we'll make up for it at the end of the week. And also he rallied for me to have space to do that um, have a space that's not too far away from our office because I was on uh, we were multiple floor building and I was on a top floor and so he rallied for me to have that he rallied for me to have the time away from uh, audit hours using audit hours to to go and lack to you know, breast breast pump for my my child um, for a good eight months this went on and he was so supportive and I did not assume that it could come from him. I thought I was going to have such a hard time. I thought I was going to have to go above and beyond him to get that support. And he was so willing and, and forthcoming with whatever I needed. And I, I really appreciated that, you know, so it's to receive empathy and especially from a place that you didn't expect it was very heartwarming to say the least. Love it. And the reason why I love that question so much is that it's a reminder for anybody who's listening and watching that it's always available to us to show empathy to others. It's always available to turn up the volume of empathy in our lives. And it's a good memory, a good like reminder to me um, mm. that on a day-to-day basis, you know, you never know how much we can uh, support others through simple acts that, you know, are under pinned by empathy. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't take any time to do it because we're born to be kind. I think in one of your podcasts previously, you, you actually alluded to that. There's science behind the way our brains work, but life gets in the way from a very young age. You know, we are, we, we deal with trauma. We deal with different social cues that hinder us from being kind most of the time. And so it gets in the way and it keeps us from wanting to empathize as adults, but it really, that's who we are. And it it gives us pleasure to be that way towards each other. Beautiful way to end this conversation. Maxine, I look forward to meeting you in person in Toronto. Thanks for the time. Thank you again for watching. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next week at Purposeful Empathy. Thank you so much for watching an episode of Purposeful Empathy enjoyed this conversation subscribe to the channel and also consider picking up your copy of purposeful empathy 
it's an invitation to dial up empathy in your life. The world needs more empathy. We need more empathy. What are you waiting for?